The opinions expressed on questions you didn't ask are those of the individual participants and do not reflect those of their respective employers and institutions. Welcome back to Questions You Didn't Ask in the series titled In the Shadows, Navigating Homelessness, Veterans, and Incarceration with our guests, Mr. Eric Hargrave, Mr. Dennis Fontelroy, and Dr. Benjamin Bell. Let's get back into the conversation. I want to invite Dr. Bell to share with us. Tell us more about your organization. What are the services and programs that you all offer and how you address the issues of housing among veterans and people who are formerly incarcerated? Sure. Our organization is Dads with a Purpose. And what we share with people is that we provide parenting services and other various and sundry ancillary services, as they say. One of the things that we have found out is that many people want to do the appropriate thing. Many times they don't have the tools or the skills, and sometimes they just haven't matured to that place or been challenged to do what they can. And so what we tell them is all people have intrinsic value and worth. And we have this thing we call the golden rule. It's the unwritten rule that you should never do anything for anyone that they can do for themselves. Uh, because so that's you, a different spin on the golden rule. Go right yeah, ahead. Right. Because if you do what you, what you end up doing is allowing them to be incompetent. You treat you treat them like they can't, so they don't. You know, mm. when I was a little boy, we had these ladies at church, and this one lady got up one year, and she had this saying, and I never forgot it. She said, "Everybody knew somebody would, so nobody did." Mm. And so, well, what can you do? Is what we say to guys. And the first thing you have to realize is you have influence. You have the ability to affect someone. So the first person you need to affect is yourself. You need to say, what what am I capable of? And are the pockets in my capabilities? What don't I know that I could know that would make me perform better? Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about being with Dennis and Eric is we have decided to do something that many people don't do when they have organizations. We've decided to collaborate instead of compete. Amen. We take the best of what all of us have brought to the table and build something that we could not build by ourselves. And so we tell the guys, hey, there are, so, there are so many things that you can do that can be improved upon. So we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progress. Mm -hmm. let's, let's move a little further down the road. And so when we begin to look at their skills, their knowledge, their abilities, we talk to them about setting goals. And many people who are walking around in our communities that are homeless is because they don't even have the goal to have an apartment or to have a home. They're, they're just existing. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a waste of humanity. You know, with all the capability that you have, why are you standing here waiting for somebody to give you a dollar? And many of them say, well, I don't want anybody controlling me. I said, okay, well, these people that are driving them down the street really are controlling you because if they don't give you money, you, you're stuck out here. What do you want to do with yourself? Is this is this your highest end? Is this the best that you see for yourself? And realizing that many of them have what you call co-occurring disorders. Some of them mm -hmm. have a substance abuse issue. Some of them can't put down the bottle. They're just waiting for evening to come 
so they can go crawl under a tree or in some corner somewhere. And we're like, hey, I promise you, life can be better than this. And so one of the things that I've done is put myself in many classrooms that I'd rather not be in, but to learn what people need. You know, you have to understand, Dennis talked about knowledge. Knowledge, you know, even these degrees that I have, they're not for people to call me Dr. Bell. They're for me to serve people better. Mm-hmm. When you serve people better, it's because you know how to better serve people. You're not just, you don't just get up one day and say, I know how to serve people. No, you learn that from somewhere. And so it's a, it's a powerful thing to sit down in a classroom and to learn what a human being needs. The benefit that we have is that our mothers and fathers taught us how to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, we know people need food, clothing, and shelter. So when we see that that's not out there, we go to find out why they don't have that. And Eric and I are both United States Marines. Dennis, he uh, we love him. He's he's just a guy that loves people and hangs out with dudes, <laughs> hangs out with dudes like well, us. But all of us have learned that if you don't connect with the police department, if you don't connect mm-hmm. with your governor, if you don't connect with your mayor, if you don't get with the Department of Human Services and say, hey, you are in a position of governing people. We are in a position of serving people. So if you take your ability by your position to govern and build relationships, we talk about relational power, mm-hmm. we also talk about positional power. And I promise you, we have more power than people who only live off their position. Because mm-hmm. we're the ones that go out there and say, hey, how many kids do you have? How are you impacting your kids? Your kids will model the behavior. They'll mimic the behavior that you model. Would you want your daughter to be married to a guy like you? Would you want Mm. your daughter to live with a guy like you? Do you care enough to make the community a better place? So we sit in these places of the micro, the macro, and the meso. We sit down and build contracts with people. I don't know how many places Dennis sits in, but I, I am in the governor's chambers. <laughs> I, I am down at the state house talking to politicians. Mm-hmm. All I'm trying to find out is do you care? And if you say you care, let's work out of that dynamic. So we have two houses in the city of Des Moines that are for men, one for women. We actually shut the women's house down because we found out that the guys weren't being respectful who were supposed, oh, wow. supposed to keep the place tidy. Mm. Because I don't know about you, but when I drive down the street, I don't want the homeless shelter to be the place where somebody points and says, oh, yeah, that's where you put people who are like that. Right. Disrespectful. So mm-hmm. when you, I have a house that's six blocks away from the governor. It looks like the governor should be living in it. It's mm-hmm. clean. It's tidy. The guys know that they are an example of what it means to be a clean living man who can be trusted anywhere in the city. So we build these systems so that people grow and become a model citizen. And some of the work that we do, Naisha, mm-hmm. going, you know, getting on a plane and going to a place where they're doing it better. Right. We went to a, a place in San Antonio called Project Quest, which stands for Quality Education and Skills Training, where mm-hmm. they took a colonel from the military and had him train people how to just get up in the morning, 
make your bed, brush your teeth, wash your body, go sit in the seat and learn another skill that turns into a job with living wage and benefits. Mm-hmm. That costs money. So we have to go to the politicians and say, if you give us a dollar, we'll turn it into 12. Mm-hmm. Because that money that they're going to pay back in taxes and buy food and take care of their families is going to come back into the coffers and the community is going right. to see that cash flow. So we came back and we came up with Project Iowa here in, in my city, which stands for Iowans Opportunities for Workforce Advancement. So we shamelessly stole what they were doing that we believe would work here. And we told them we were going to take it. We said, hey, we're going to take this somewhere else. we give you credit, but we got to go back home and help some other people. So Dennis and Eric and people like myself sit in seats, learn mm-hmm. information, turn it into skills, knowledge, and ability, transfer it to other people so we can benefit them. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that the world changes is when you take what you have and I take what I have and we build something that will benefit an entire community and a world. And we know what the black and brown thing, for instance, my city, mm-hmm. we only represent 7% of the population. Wow. But we're 25% of the homeless population. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody is falling through the cracks and we're not serving the people that need it the most. Right. And so I tell them, I love everybody. And as an African-American male, I have a bent toward my people because I understand their plight on a more personal level because the world has changed. You know, when I was a little boy, my mom would take corn and beans and all kinds of food to people's houses. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. we had people live with us that did not have my last name. And I'm I'm sitting here looking like, how much chicken are we going to have to buy to feed everybody that mom's letting in the house? (laughs) But it didn't matter because she realized that some of those people wouldn't eat unless she brought them to our table. So what Dennis and Eric and people like myself are doing is bringing other people to the table and saying, sit down and eat. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're well. We're going to get you the right certificates, the right education. We're going to teach you to use your influence. You know what's the interesting thing? Mm. Uh, Do you know where the word influence comes from? No. It comes from the word influenza. Interesting. In other words, influence is contagious. Wow. You're trying to infect the world with loving, kind, caring, competent people. Yes. Go out and make the world a better place. That's why we build these systems. And the one thing that Dennis and Eric and I have done that I really love is we don't look at people in a one dimensional way. We don't look that you're that you haven't been feeding yourself, that you've been on drugs. We're looking at what brought you here. Why are you here? We're going to get you to address your issues and we're going to move further. We, we, we refuse to let you stay the way you are. We love you too much. Right. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're putting them in places. They're getting health care. They're getting a psychological evaluation. Mm-hmm. Because we can give them money and a job, but if something's not right up here, they won't be at that job very long. Right. So what do we need to do? Uh, and I'm going to pull one of Dennis's things out. Somebody said that you have to change the root if you want to change the fruit. Come on. Yep. We look at smoking. We look at drinking. No, mm-hmm. that's the fruit. But something's producing that kind of fruit. So let's mm-hmm. get to the root of the matter. Serve people better. 
and let the world advance because the world has changed and we have to realize that it's not always changed for the better. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. I think thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I think what you're saying um, also is that you are exemplifying what it is that you want to see in other people yourself. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And mainly by, you know, continuing to grow, continuing to learn, continuing to sow into self and therefore give out of more of an abundance to others, right? And so that is just remarkable, remarkable work. I love the connecting, the collective, the engage. You know, some people would call that civic engagement of, yes. of interacting with policymakers and, and elected officials and things of that sort and making sure that that people who, you know, that we put in place, whether you voted for them or not, you know, in a democracy, okay. they still have to serve you. That's right. And um, making sure that they know what the needs of the community are and how the tax dollars can be used to create, you know, better outcomes, right. And have more people in our society that are able to contribute in a positive way. Absolutely. So this is wonderful. One of the things that I am hearing, of course, is that a lot of people come to you all after they've been chronically homeless, right. They've been dealing with this, repeatedly, right? What are some of the services or organizations that you all are aware of, whether you provide this or not, that are helping to address some of those initial markers of homelessness before it happens? So for me, my background in public health, a lot of what we do is around prevention. You know, what are the things that we can identify that puts people in danger for different health outcomes, right? And as I mentioned earlier, housing is a social driver of health. So if we notice that there's certain triggers, certain incidents, certain even characteristics that might make someone more prone to homelessness or about to face homelessness, what are things can we that we can put in place so that they don't go down that road? Can you all speak to any of that and any of the organizations that may be providing that type of service in our community? especially for black and brown people. Brown, go first. All right, so I'll, I'll talk about uh, one organization that we ran into while we were in, in Wichita, which was Prime Fit, and they work with youth that are in the school system that may have an issue or they be, may be on the borderline. They start to identify some of those triggers for some of the kids that may be in a bad family situation. They may be but as, as I talk to them, a lot of those factors are in the home are in the neighborhood or the culture that they're raised in. But when they begin to talk to the kid, they provide them a mentor at the time uh, that not only engages with the kid, but the teachers and the family. So that it's a very, very great program that's able to hit the multiple layers of those early detectors in the kids that are dealing with and trying to you know, find a way, a way forward, but they're kind of encapsulated in trauma or dealing with their, you know, parents' trauma or, <laughs> or the community's trauma, and they're trying to, to find a way forward. So that, that's one organization that we are partnering with to build, build a program. And our newest initiative, which Dennis started like this summer, was the agricultural program, bringing horticulture and agriculture into the schools. 
and getting them back to grounding, getting their hands in the soil, teaching mm. them to grow. And as one of the doctors that's a part of our group brings into the, the case that it opens up different brain pathways when they begin to work with soil and the plants because it teaches them a different way of learning. That's yes. uh, more into the natural way of learning and it just, just opens up new avenues for them. So just to piggyback on that, yes, that growing program is definitely needful and necessary right now. The thought of how far down do you go? Mm-hmm. Back in 2014, Dad's Care 2 was working with the Child Start Head Start program, Strong Dad Super Kids, and we were learning that the earlier dads became involved in their kids' lives, mm-hmm. the greater the possibility for success, et cetera, et cetera. And we were pushing that agenda. And so um, we continued to work with them, and they continued to uh, allow us to come and work with the family support groups. And a lot of that was, was gardening. We were turning the soil. We were mm-hmm. creating playgrounds for the kids. We And dads, men were just coming to those Head Start, Child Start programs mm-hmm. to become involved and those families thrived. They were growing. So now we understand and as as we worked with Kansas Children's Service League and we helped move the ACES project through mm-hmm. uh, dealing with those factors, those human factors, those factors that caused us to see ourselves in certain ways and how that long-term trauma in our childhoods affect our brain issues. To be able to go back to year eight, around the year eight, and to find out what kids were doing in that age group that allows them to see themselves in that role and how they make decisions, which are the same decisions that they are going to be making as adults. Mm. So how they're seeing themselves way back in their third grade time period is how we're seeing it. And even last week when we had two homeless sisters in the house, I just, I just didn't kick them out on the street that day, but I, in, I invited them into our, our commons area, and mm-hmm. I just happened to have three church mothers, two church mothers, and a church sister there to talk about some work we were doing with this Helping Hands. And when we talked about what those sisters were like when they were eight years old, mm. you could see their countenance change and how they began to deal with themselves and why they, in their 30s, 40s now. Mm-hmm. They realized that how they saw themselves then mm. was affecting them right now, being homeless and out on the streets and just scrambling and struggling. Mm-hmm. So the deeper we get into how people have grown up and that long-term trauma and how their families are developed and, and weakened allows them to begin to uh, learn how to make those positive decisions and become resilient in life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what uh, we want to continue to do, you know, and, and that transcends even into the crime prevention. Mm-hmm. That's why I work with domestic, with domestic violence in uh, the DCF agency for, for the state of Kansas, because the foster care program, twice as many black and brown kids go into foster care than any other demographic. Why mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. What's the cause of that? Because we need to deal with, things on a, on, a, on a root cause level. Mm-hmm. And so for us, these are the things that will end up with people out on the streets, homeless, not understanding that they do have something going on 
inside them that they can correct. Mm -hmm. But they need to know what the resources are. They need to know that people just got love for them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because we can be smart as women. We all got degrees. But the bottom line is they got to know we care. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so when we tell them, hey, you know, I got love for you multiple times, and they begin to feel that, that we're not just going to, you know, give them a sandwich and a, a drink of water, but we want to sit down and listen to them, then they can begin to care about themselves and, and make those decisions which are going to make them the people that they are designed to be. So mm -hmm. for me, that's how we're going to change our communities. We're going to change our families. We're going to change even in ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have changed because when them, them cats come in there all crusty and crazy and talking crazy and, and so forth, I have to, you know, go and be trying to go. You, I mean, for real, because what we learn and how we grow, right. I'm, a better, I'm a better husband because I learned how to be a better husband. Yes. I learned through our classes how to communicate better. Mm -hmm. I learned how not, I don't have to, to get amped every time somebody doesn't agree with me. Mm -hmm. you know yeah. I learned how to love my wife and kids in a different way than it's my way. You gonna cut that grass, you know, that kind of thing. But it just helps all of us when we change from the inside out because that mm -hmm. changed what they're seeing. So, right. I mean, and systemically, as we go before these people and they see that we do have genuine care and concern for not only these people that are are, are in the best of circumstances, but we right. care about our society enough to speak up for them. And that's what we desire to do. Right. Awesome. I think it's interesting that Dennis and Eric and I, if you go back and look at when we launched our nonprofits, most of us had done the work 15, 17, 20 years before we ever launched it. <laughs> doing the work for yes. no money, with no assistance, just mm -hmm. out there banging it, doing our best to be a benefit to people. And someone said, hey, man, they have organizations that will assist you with this. And so our thing was, we don't want to be co-opted into mm -hmm. something that's only going to be checking the boxes. You have to care more about people than a photo op. You know, mm -hmm. in the, during Christmas time, when we go and give out gifts, we don't tell the channel, the news channel, to come and take pictures of us handing out Christmas presents so these guys can take them to their kids, these ladies can take them to their children. That's not the issue. The issue is that they are allowed the value and the dignity of handing their child something to let their child know that they love them. Right. So we launched our nonprofits years after we had already been doing this work, you know, and learning about motivational interviewing yes. and about the ACEs and sitting in the classroom and spending money on an education mm -hmm. that we knew would help us serve people better. So when we go downtown, we talk with them, you know, on another level because mm -hmm. the, the, the tight shirts want to hear th that you have the terminology and you understand the concepts. Mm -hmm. Right. When we get with people that we're really working with, we say, hey, these people are hungry. They don't have a place to stay. So we, we have these emergency shelters that we're connected to. Um, six houses away from where I'm sitting right now, I'm starting a parenting class at Catholic Charities this week. Mm -hmm. Like I need another thing to do. Right. <laughs> but those, pe those people need what I bring to the table. Mm -hmm. 
And that's all I care about. You know, I'll sit down when I die or somebody else stands up so I can sit down for a few minutes, but I can't sit down very long because that's not my thing. I need, I'm a, pra- I'm a professional practitioner. I need, to, I need to walk in there at least sit down and make sure these people are getting the services that they need. And I need my sons and my daughters to be able to sit down and look people in the face and say, hey, these people need help. You, mm-hmm. you have a position where you can help. Mm-hmm. You need a partner. And if I'm not going away until you give me somebody else's name or you tell me you're going to assist me. Right. Don't, don't get in our way. We have business to conduct. People are the highest of creation. I, I understand the tree huggers. I, I got you. I know it. But we love people. Right. <laughs> We're going to serve them. So if you're not going to help serve, you need to move out of the way. We have business to conduct. Right, right, right. Wow. So this is this is servant leadership at its best. This is advocacy at its at its most core, what it's really supposed to be about. Yes. And I, I really love the way that you all talked about bringing dads into the fold. I'm very proud to have three black men on this show talking about how they invest in the community, how they invest in other black men in order to make families and even even the lives of women better. You know, yes. I was on a on a uh, panel one time and someone asked, you know, how can we make life better for women and girls? I probably said this before on the podcast. People might be tired of it. But one of the things that I said was was to have healthy men and boys. Amen. So and so this is this is a wonderful, wonderful conversation that is speaking to that very thing. And when I said that, I didn't mean it in terms of you know, women needing to have a husband or a partner, right? It's just the fact that we have fathers, we have brothers, we have uncles, we have we have neighbors, we yes. have people that we interact with. And if we are not in our right mind and they are not in our right mind, then things are gonna go left. Yeah, absolutely. And so we don't we don't need any more of that. But another thing that you talked about was your approach to addressing and improving parenting. And, you know, because we are talking about social drivers of health, housing being the central focus today, you also brought in the importance of other social drivers of health. One, education, early childhood education. Oh, yes. And and the importance of bringing the father into that child's life and being an active part of their education early and often, but engaging them around another social driver of health being food, nutrition, and environment, right? So being able to have gardens, learning how to be connected to our mother earth and all of the bounty that she has to bring us in order to facilitate our own nutritious consumption of fruits and vegetables. Absolutely, Um, That is an amazing ecosystem for health equity and promoting health and well-being in our community. So thank you for that work. I have another question for you all, and I'm going to start with Dennis, or if anyone else wants to jump into it, what are the things that you would most like to change in the system on behalf of the people you serve? We've talked a lot about individual intervention. We've also talked about collective engagement and collaboration. When you think about the systems that are currently in place that may be helping people to be homeless, Right. There are certain things that are in our society that make it possible 
even more possible for certain populations to become homeless. Yes. Um, of course, we're talking about veterans and people who are formerly incarcerated. Yes. So there are certain systems around those populations who are primarily black and brown that may need to have some major changes. What are some of those things that you would most like to change in the system on behalf of the people you serve? So systemically, I would, I would uh, like to see the integration of males in those boardrooms, those decision-making rooms, so that, A, not only the, the reality, their view, influ influence, their understanding of who they are and how it relates to the systemic changes that need to occur vis-a-vis -vis the, the example that we need to have. I appreciate this platform. I understand the importance because I was taught the importance of uh, advocating for others. Systemically, males in the male engagement have not been there to be able to design how we need to move forward to be proactive. You know, working with working men of Christ and having that 16-week Bible study program, you know, before they even come out of prison, gives them an understanding what it what their life is going to look like once they go through that open door. And so they have a greater chance of success, you know, when they do reach that 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 door and, and, and can move forward. The challenges, same way with these young men that are in foster care. Mm -hmm. If we don't teach them before they get to the point where they are not being given state funds for being in foster care, if we don't teach them and are proactive in teaching them what that's going to look like and how to solve those problems and how to deal with life, then they're going to end up homeless. Then they're going to end up, uh, you know, in crime because they're not going to be prepared to, to do the things that are necessary to, to have a positive, productive life. So I would constantly, and I say this a lot, and you, you know that I've, I'm constantly pushing the male engagement model is because the, our mindset is uh, the women are doing it or the others are doing it or I just got to go to work. We have to get past that first level mindset into mm -hmm. who we are created to be. And when I think about what you were talking about the garden, what did God tell Adam in the garden? Go tend your garden. He gave him a job before he gave him a woman. Mm. And that we have to be about our father's business. And that means going out, not sitting around lounging, lollygagging, watching ESPN, but getting out there being something productive and living the example for our young fellas, but letting our daughters see that, you know, daddy got them and you don't have to run around trying to be, you know, in the arms of some other young cat, then those families can be more productive and we can, we can raise the level of our consciousness of ourselves and what our community can, how it can thrive mm -hmm. with what we have to offer. Yes. So I can change in a lot of our boardrooms. Because I sit on boards where there's 30 females, primarily Caucasian. Mm. And I'm the only male there, sat in, sat in these Zoom meetings. And I'm wishing, where are the brothers? I mm. ask the brothers in the church the same thing. In our churches, where they're 80 mm -hmm. and 90% female, where are the brothers? Yes. Mm -hmm. How come we can't get the brothers to man up and stand up and speak up? Mm -hmm. Because that's what needs to happen. We need to get off our duff and lead by example. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I'm 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a series called Where the Brothers At, and it was okay. talking about reproductive rights and the perspective uh -huh. of black men around reproductive rights and reproductive Girl. justice. Uh -huh. So uh, I encourage people to, to listen to that amazing series. But but also just to just to kind of echo what you're talking about in that, you know, sometimes even for myself, I can hear I can hear you say, well, you know, men need to be more, you know, and it's like, well, in society, when we talk about justice and equity, we tend to think of men uh -huh. being privileged, right, and being powerful. But when you really break down that word and what we mean when we say it, we're usually talking about white men. We're not yep. necessarily right there censoring black or brown men. And when we think about the power and engagement of black and brown men and the influence of black and brown men, what it sounds like you're saying to me is that one of the things that you would like to change in the system is to have more leadership and, and more influence of black and brown men in terms of creating processes, programs, systems, policies that address the needs around housing for a variety of communities, but especially for those who are veterans and formerly incarcerated. Right. Does anybody else want to talk about what are the things in the system that just kind of get your goat that you wish you could change? Um, well, well, on behalf one, of the, of one of the things that we, we targeted to address was those several systems that contribute to homelessness, lack lack of affordable housing and such yeah. things. No, you know, the insufficient mental health services, economic disparity. So those, those systems now, you know, speak about one of being welfare or the housing system and how they offer those vouchers with no accountability. There should be programs to help them move forward, a more comprehensive system that provides, a, you know, where, where that affordable, safe housing is, you know, where they can get the mental health services, ensuring they're getting those mental health and physical health services, the job training and, and the support from their families and not hiding them or giving them, you know, just just a bed to sleep in or, or just uh, some, somewhere where they can rent a place uh, because it, it really isn't feeding them. So, you know, not looking at down upon them, but actually saying, OK, we're going to help you in this way. But this is also your obligation. What is what is their buy in to the services that are offered? And that I, I think closing that gap of the government or whatever agency that may be helping them, the system that's created, um, not turning a blind eye to them and letting them fester in whatever habits that they have, but to help them to, to grow over that, that this assistance will be, be available for a time and you need to climb to this level as this assistance is there to uh, give you a step up and not just a, a handout. Right. Yeah. And Eric, it's important that people like you and Dennis and I are sitting at that table to champion that message because many times they clap their hands because they've helped us, but they really haven't helped us in the way that we need to be helped. Mm -hmm. You know, and in the Latin community, they say nothing about us without us. Mm -hmm. You don't know what I need. Ask me what I need. Don't assume. And when I tell you, let's get about the business of placing value on my true need. You know, and I had an African brother tell me one time, instead of he saying nothing about us without us, he said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. 
So we need to decide that we are going to go and find competent, caring people to raise up other people who may not have our level of competency as African-American males and say, hey, man, I only get to live so long. I'm trying to place this in you so you can take it further and higher. Mm -hmm. So they understand the value of knowing what ACEs is. They understand the value of of what trauma-informed care is. Understand why from zero to three, that first 1,000 days of a child's life is the most Mm -hmm. important because it's the determinant what they're going to be 30 and 40 years later. If they don't understand that, they won't, they won't know why this effect is here because they don't understand the cause. They didn't have a chance from the beginning because they didn't have competent people dealing with them. You know, even aging out, kicking, kicking African-American males out of the foster care system at the age 18 with no money and no place to go, no skills and no services. Mm-hmm. And then you say, well, why are they in the homeless shelter? They can't take care of themselves. You didn't provide them with the knowledge and skills that they need to go out and be what we call a man. Mm-hmm. We got to get at that. That's not that system. Even when you go to a Department of Human Services in Iowa, there, there aren't two men in that office. <laughs> oh, wow. At all. No. You might see one white guy sitting back in the corner somewhere and the rest of them is inundated with females. Then they got to go in there with their head down, looking the female in the face, asking for some services. And they're only there because they have to be there. It's not, they haven't decided to go in there. Mm. They're being told, we're going to take your child from you. We're going to term- We're going to terminate your parental rights. So mm. now they're, they're here under duress. Mm. You don't form well under you don't perform well under duress. No. We have to get at this. Dennis, Dennis, I'm going to start acting like you. Man. <laughs> hey, you okay. those access points have to be changed so they're friendly toward us. Uh-huh. They're outside talking loud and acting crazy. They walk in an office full of white women and they say, Yeah, I'm here for and, and they have to lean forward to hear the kid. Mm-hmm. He changes when he gets in a in a in an environment that he's unfamiliar with. He, mm-hmm. he he whispers because he doesn't feel like he's competent to stand in there and even ask for what he needs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. Let me can I pause you for a second. So I was asked to come to a, a, a leadership meeting. I went to a community meeting, and they asked me to come to a leadership meeting. And the and the uh, director says. No, we need you here. We need your passion. We need to hear what you got to say. You know what I thought to myself? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't want me. Because I was being, you know, I know how to communicate. I know how to you know, act with decorum. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got. But, but I just, in my Cold mind. I'm switching like, for the audience. <laughs> you, don't really, you don't really want me to be, and you, you guys, I'm comfortable because we, we're doing this. But you don't want me to go there because then your fear factor mm. will throw up those walls mm-hmm. and then you'll see me as someone who is threatening to you mm-hmm. when I'm just feeling and thinking about all the brothers that I know that have mm-hmm. come out of incarceration and struggle with trying to get back into their families because you've created a system which has so many barriers that he cannot mm-hmm. yes. mm-hmm. successfully reintegrate. And he cannot. 
put his guard down and he cannot feel comfortable with, with the society. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all those brothers who, who are yet in jail, yet in prison when they're trying to do everything and you got a hundred thousand, eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollar rock on their back. And so he's mm. got to go around to do side jobs just to pay for his own little spot. Yeah. But the bottom line is that this is what this conversation is all about. And I appreciate you, sis, because I've got a lot of good friends who we have these conversations. We know what we need to do, but we also know we got to take care of our mortgage, light bill, gas yeah. bill. Yes. We got you know, deal with life as it as it comes at us. And so <laughs> we don't have the time to go and sit in these daytime morning meetings, you know, that go on for so long that, you know, <laughs> and, and not get paid for it. You know, mm -hmm. because that one or two brothers oh. in the DPF, if they're sitting in a meeting, they're getting paid. These folks are getting paid. We don't get paid a lot of times for sitting in these meetings. Can I just but speak to that real quick before we go any further? Because I think this is one of the problems in the nonprofit sector, in the social service sector. We see this as a national issue, right? Mm -hmm. The work and the jobs that are really meant to uplift our society, they don't pay enough. Right. And right. so what you find, I just got finished talking about this in my last series, is you find that people who are privileged with wealth, OK, are able to take these low paying jobs. And those people who are privileged with wealth tend to not look like the people who are experiencing whatever, in this case, homelessness. Right. In this case, challenges with quality, affordable, sustainable housing. Right. Because. Those people who have that lived experience and that legacy, i.e. African-Americans, Black people, we can't afford to take that $60,000 salary, hmm. right? So somebody else who has generational wealth, they can take that $60,000 salary and it's fine. And it also helps them to feel better about themselves. Okay, so they're well-meaning people. But at the same time, like Dennis just spoke about, there is a limit to what they can accept in terms of our authenticity, okay? In terms of us showing up authentically and speaking about our lived experience. Thank you for listening to the new series of Questions You Didn't Ask. Join me, your host, Naisha Frey, and my guest, Mr. Eric Hargrave, Mr. Dennis Fontelroy, and Dr. Benjamin Bell next week as our conversation in the shadows navigating homelessness veterans and incarceration continues